Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Portico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. When Russia invaded Ukraine a year ago today, Moscow thought it could intimidate Ukraine's European allies through energy blackmail. But that strategy has actually backfired. One major reason is because the United States is playing a growing energy role in Europe's economy. At the same time, global oil and gas trade routes have been reconfigured, sanctions and a price cap have hurt Russian oil and gas shipments, and renewable energy has received more financial and political support. So today, Politico's Ben Lefebvre on how the energy world has changed since Russia invaded Ukraine. It's Friday, February 24th. When Russian President Vladimir Putin first started out on this invasion, the idea was that Europe was so dependent on Russian oil and Russian natural gas that even the threat of kind of choking off supplies would rattle the alliance and force some countries to back off their support of Ukraine. It looked for a while that might work. Remember, we had the explosion at the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Nord Stream 1 was turned off. European natural gas prices really took off. And there was some concern that people just were not going to pay that high a price and start pressuring the governments to kind of back down over Ukraine. But then it essentially didn't happen. Got it. So the strategy has ultimately backfired. And that's in large part because of American oil and gas exports that have helped compensate for lost energy from Russia to Europe. So just how important has U.S. energy been for Europe? On the gas side, it's been very important. I've talked to a number of people who said two things. It wasn't for the volumes of U.S. gas. And if it wasn't for the fact that U.S. companies, most all of them, don't make customers adhere to what they call a destination clause, that became very useful. And in the old days, if you sold a, a cargo of LNG to someone, they were contractually bound to take it to one place. When the U.S. got big into LNG exports, they waived that. A number of people told me that was a big deal. This this meant that Japanese companies, for instance, or other countries, companies who were taking U.S. gas, they could send it to Europe, even if the cargo was still on the water, like en route to the buyer's country. So that went to Europe's advantage, where a lot of these cargos could then start going to Europe. On the oil side, the U.S. has also been fairly important. Europe has been able to not quite replace all of the Russian oil that it's been kind of shunning since the invasion started. You know, Before the invasion, Europe was getting around 8% of its oil imports from the U.S., but that's now up to 12%. So it's, it's been a fairly robust climb. One of the other things that Europe's been able to do just outside of the U.S. has been reducing its own energy demand through efficiencies. So that's played another part. But the U.S. was able to really step in, particularly on the gas front, to replace the supply that was lost from Russia. Right. And so how has Russia's war reconfigured world energy markets more broadly then? It's really scrambled the trade routes. You know, more Russian natural gas is going to China. More oil and gas is going to India from Russia. Turkey, too. More oil and gas from Russia has been going to Turkey. But other routes have been scrambled to the effect where Europe's become a major international buyer of gas now. Before, it used to get so much of its supply just from Russia that it was kind of a minor figure in the LNG markets. But now it's one of the largest markets. And that looks like it's going to continue for at least a few more years. South Korea used to get a lot of its gas from Russia. It was so close to Russia's east coast. Now the U.S. has stepped in there as well. And in the longer term, 
some of these trade routes are going to scramble again because Europe has kind of doubled down on its pledge to develop more renewable energy. So we have yet to see how that falls into place. But I don't think we're, we've seen the last of the kind of like trade route scramble that started when Russia initiated its invasion. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has, of course, put a new spotlight on the United States' role as the world's biggest oil and gas producer. So has the U.S. gained more geopolitical influence as a result of that? And if it has, how long will that last, given, as you mentioned, Europe is accelerating its plans to move off fossil fuels, even as it's taking in more oil and gas now? The question of how much geopolitical clout the U.S. has gained because of this is kind of an open question. A lot of folks will say, well, this isn't like a Marshall Plan for natural gas. I mean, we're not giving it away. The Europeans are paying and paying pretty dearly for the gas that's coming their way. But this could strengthen the U.S. military's influence on trade routes of energy cargoes going to Europe. And how long this will last, people I talk to, that the... U.S.'s influence on European energy is going to be pretty far-reaching, but it doesn't necessarily mean that influence is going to stop with oil and gas. Europe is still saying that it wants to develop more European energy sources, that it's not going to be natural gas and oil. But as they develop those sources and as they maybe invest more into carbon capture technologies, they will be in closer partnership with the U.S., maybe technological exchanges or you know, maybe joint investments in certain projects. I think that will continue and be pretty, pretty tightly wound, maybe more so than it, if it had just been Europeans doing it with Russia still supplying the fossil fuels. Also, on Thursday, President Joe Biden nominated Ajay Banga, the former CEO of MasterCard, to lead the World Bank. The nomination comes just days after current World Bank President David Malpass announced he would resign by July, months ahead of when the Trump administration nominated leader's term expired. If confirmed by the World Bank, Banga will have to balance the climate agenda of the U.S., the bank's largest shareholder, with concerns from other countries about a potential move away from the institution's core mandates of fighting poverty and funding economic development projects within national borders. Now, Banga isn't necessarily a household name to environmentalists, but he is well-known to Biden world. He served on an Obama administration trade advisory council, chaired the U.S.-India Business Council, and more recently had been working with Vice President Kamala Harris's office. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Nirma Malaykel is the podcast producer. Raghu Manavalan edited the show this week. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Our editors are Matt Daly and Gloria Gonzalez. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back on Monday. Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.